Hello and welcome to another episode in our series of IPSX podcasts, which considers important topics in the world of real estate. Today we're looking at the world of funds and finance. We'll be looking at the choices that investors and fund managers have with new fund structures, as well as reflecting on the importance of the role that London plays as the financial capital of Europe. I'm joined by a distinguished panel of guests today, Rob Bold, Melville Rodriguez and Ben Sanderson. Ben is the chairman of the Investment Property Forum, or IPF, and an executive director of fund management at the international business of Federated Hermes, which has over £8 billion worth of real estate assets under management. Hello, it's a great pleasure to be here. We're also joined by Melville Rodriguez of international fund administration and corporate services firm Accorian. Melville is the main architect of, and has led the industry initiative for, a proposed UK Professional Investor Fund, or PIF. Industry organisations, as well as institutional investors and fund management houses, support the PIF, and he'll be telling us more about the proposal a bit later. Hello to all our listeners. Thank you very much. And I'm also pleased to welcome Rob Bold, who is our IPSX host for today. IPSX is the world's first property securities exchange dedicated to commercial real estate. Rob is an IPSX board member, among other roles with Fiera Capital, Coyote Software and LandAid. And Rob was also a past chairman of the Investment Property Forum. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Paul. And thank you particularly to Melville and Ben for taking the time this afternoon to join this discussion. Today's title is Onshore versus Offshore, New Choices for Investors. So let's take a moment to look at why this topic is so important. Asset management firms manage the savings and pensions of millions of UK citizens. They raise capital from investors and allocate that money across the wider economy. Three quarters of us use an asset manager's services either directly or indirectly. And the UK asset management sector is the largest in Europe and the second largest in the world with around £9.1 trillion of assets under management. It employs around 40,000 people directly and a further 76,000 in supporting or resulting activities, and it contributed an estimated £3.8 billion in property transaction taxes in the year 2018-2019. Let's also have a bit of background to the timing of this discussion. We've got Brexit coming up, we're in the transition period, negotiations are ongoing with the EU, and we're due to leave at the end of December. We have the Treasury conducting a review of the funds regime and the Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA, will be consulting on managing the liquidity mismatch of open-ended daily dealt property funds. Plus, we're living through an extraordinary and tragic time of a global pandemic, which is not just a health crisis, but is also the biggest economic crisis of a generation and is delivering a shockwave to the entire commercial real estate world. Okay. With all of that in mind, let's make a start by having a look at the wider funds environment and what is going on there. Rob, what's your take on what is happening around the funds debate right now? What an interesting time, Paul, that we're living in. I mean, lots of moving parts in this discussion. And I know the three of us are all passionate about the future of prosperity of London and the UK as the financial centre of Europe. But we should absolutely not forget that real estate is only part of the bigger fund management market, which you referenced early on in terms of the statistics. But it is a growing part, and it's been growing since the formation of the Investment Property Forum in 1988. And the forum's background, 
and it is relevant here, Paul, is that we seek to educate, research and fellowship. And then no doubt we'll be picking that up when you go to him. But it's really critical that the structures that hold real assets and the ecosystem that surrounds it are beyond reproach. And some of those big dynamics that you have referenced are actually making that ecosystem, many of which um, may have vested interests, who actually have to reflect on way, the way the industry is going to look going forward. And the big issues for me are reputational risk, you know, whether or not offshore structures absolutely play to this really fundamental point for a lot of investors. The second side part is oversight and management. Are the structures beyond reproach? And COVID-19 has made offshore meetings for really difficult for that. And then it's just the practical aspects of the establishment of offshore funds, the establishment in the sense that, you know, people getting on planes and traveling around to attend board meetings. Is that really the right type of structure now for the fund management industry to develop and grow and move forward? So that's a reputational risk. There's investor protection, there's transparency, and then a new way of doing business through this COVID epidemic that's going to continue. It's addressing a long-term anomaly that you did have um, situations where an investor, a fund manager, and the asset could all be in the UK, but the actual fund containing the uh, real estate asset was domiciled offshore. Absolutely. Absolutely. How crazy is that? Uh, well, thank you, Rob. Um, ben, coming to you now, what's the IPF's position on real estate funds and the best form of ownership of U- UK real estate assets? Yeah, th- thank you. Well, I think it's important to answer that question first by just repeating a little bit and expanding a little bit on what Rob said about what the IPF's role is. So the IPF, the Investment Property Forum, exists as an independent body to promote the interests of investment into property, predominantly in the UK, but acts in consultation with others around the world to promote the interests of investment into property. So in doing that, it undertakes research, it provides education, and as Rob was saying earlier, provides a forum for networking and discussion. So in that sense, the IPF is is broadly neutral on what investors should do. What the IPF seeks to try and do is to educate and offer options and provide research input and advice to policymakers to help ensure the landscape is as appropriate as possible. And one of the main thrusts behind the IPF has been to to talk to policymakers, to talk to colleagues in the industry, and to ensure that there are the appropriate mechanisms for a wide range of investors to invest in real estate. And so one of the biggest developments, for example, in the last 15 or 20 years or so, has been the amount of retail investor capital, so the man in the street, if you like, uh, investing into real estate. And so there's been a lot of developments to ensure that structures are in place to ensure that independent financial advisors, wealth managers, et cetera, know the routes into, into real estate. And the IPF's done a lot of education to try and ensure those uh, those groups have the knowledge to invest properly. In, at the same time, trying to educate colleagues in the institutional real estate world, again, about the changes to the fund landscape to ensure that uh, investors have the right knowledge. The challenge really comes when 
when one thinks about the roots of investing, and one of the challenges has, has, has come a lot in the real estate world because of the challenges of investing in one particular single asset versus investing in a collective pool of assets alongside other investors. And really, that's the challenge we're talking about here today. Investing in one asset or a range of assets, if you're big enough to buy several assets, is relatively straightforward. Investing in a collective vehicle in real estate is much more complex. And that's particularly the case depending on your own tax position. If you're a tax exempt pension scheme or a charity, for example, if you're domiciled in the UK or overseas, you're, uh, you, you, your tax position is different. You've got different options and different tax treatments. So a lot of the history of the evolution of the fund world has been to address and to give transparency to investors with different tax positions, but also address these issues of liquidity as well. And I recall several years ago working with, with Melville amongst many others in the industry, and I'm sure Rob was involved too, in the in the development of the REIT model, the Real Estate Investment Trust, the listed model that came about in, in, the, in the mid-2000s, for example, to try and address the issues of, of double taxation on investors in, in, property, in, in, in listed property companies. More recently, the PAFE transaction, which again sought to address some of the tax anomalies that existed. A PAFE is a property authorised investment fund, if I, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right, yes. Okay, well, thank you, Ben. Coming to you, Melville, now, uh, because we're well, just going back one step, the, the, a lot of that fund management then has been set up to hold these assets, and a lot of that had drifted offshore and was domiciled offshore. But Melville, you have now proposed this uh, PIF uh, with the Professional Investment Fund. Uh, tell us a bit more about that and how that can help both managers and institutional investors. Uh, yes, the PIF widens the choice of fund offerings for UK managers. In particular, it addresses a fund gap for UK real estate managers attracting institutional investors. These investors expect the attributes of tax-transparent, unlisted, closed-ended or hybrid funds with tradable units. Can you explain what that, what that means a little bit more, um, the tax-transparent, closed-ended, hybrid or hybrid funds? Yes, that effectively means that uh, investors, many of whom, as Rob mentioned, can be tax-exempt, whether they invest directly into property or indirectly into property, achieve a equivalent performance return. And there is a level playing field in terms of the tax leakage. So unlisted is in relation to these funds investing through a vehicle which is separate from by the listed market. So expressing further how the PIF is designed, I would focus on it being an onshore solution, one in which any assets can be within the underlying investments. And it offers, importantly, investor protections via an FCA, Regulated Fund and Manager. That's the important part of it. Being being onshore, it is regulated by the FCA, and that gives a, a, a good standard of investor protection. Absolutely. And of particular importance to local government pension schemes and other UK pension funds. 
The PEF is structured as a contractual scheme. It provides a neat solution within the current fund legislative framework, and it could be introduced with minimal legislative changes. And so that's the proposal you've put to uh, the Treasury or the government. Uh, is that going through as part of this consultation process? Well, we very much hope so. What we in the industry would like is for the government, as part of its review, to be asking, are there gaps in the UK funds regime and how could those gaps be solved? And one of the one of the main attributes that it has is it provides this level playing field with some of the offshore funds that already exist, whether it's in Jersey or Guernsey or Luxembourg. Is that right? Correct. We're in a competitive dynamic with other jurisdictions, and we in the UK need to offer. And what is reassuring is that the government, with its review, is open-minded to explore solutions whereby it can support the UK fund management industry in offering competitive product to those available in the types of locations which, Paul, you've mentioned. Uh, Thank you, Melville. So, Rob, IPSX is an onshore stock exchange with two markets of prime and wholesale. Can you explain the difference between the two? And if I've understood it correctly, the wholesale is a better fit for onshoring real estate such as REITs. Yes, Paul, that's right. I mean, IPSX is a dedicated real estate stock exchange. Think of the FTSE and then think of a stock exchange with companies on it Uh, which has only real estate property assets in those companies. It's a recognized exchange. It is also recognized, and this is to your REIT point, by HMRC. So uh, the vehicles that are there can be single entity REITs, real estate investment trusts. It's been five years in the making, and that's mainly because of the prime market where the FCA wanted to see the absolute maximum investor protection. And that's because the prime part, IPSX prime, can be sold to the complete universe of investors, retail investors who want to put it into their ISAs or SIPs. Now to your question about wholesale, wholesale is for professional investors, retail investors aren't allowed, and there's a lot more flexibility there It's flexible because there's no minimum free float and the restrictions on the level of gearing and debt aren't as stringent as on the prime market. This allows a simplification of JV structures and also to bring onshore tax transparent vehicles. Really flexible and really important at this time in the cycle. So both dedicated to uh, to commercial real estate, IPSX Prime more for the retail investor, or uh, as well as other uh, as well as other investors, but wholesale very very dedicated to professional investors who who will be more sophisticated. Absolutely, more sophisticated, knowing what they're doing. Just one small point, because there is a huge demand for residential at the moment. So uh, BTR, private rented sector, social housing, that can be in a corporate entity, 
and can be listed on the exchange. So it's not just commercial real estate. Residential can also play a major part. Okay. And so this is going forward, you're looking at this as a a major capital raising market as well. Hugely. I mean, the amount of funds that are available are exceptional. And again, Paul, maybe too much detail, maybe for some of the listeners, but there is a huge wall of money coming out of defined contribution pension schemes. And actually, the pensions regulator has said that the trustee boards of those pension schemes are only likely or preferred to invest in assets predominantly in instruments admitted to trading on a regulated market. So that DC money, defined contribution money, can only be invested, according to the pensions regulator, in a regulated market, which is exactly what IPSX is. Ben, coming to you, what progress is being made for fund managers? What do you think about some of these new initiatives? And what progress is being made for fund managers with these new choices that are, that are now being provided? These are really positive developments, I think. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, from the IPF perspective, the IPF exists to try and promote investment into property. There's a whole, a whole range of infrastructure and, and individuals who want to invest on behalf of a range of investors. So what developments like Rob's describing IPSX and what Melville's describing with the, with the PIF, for example, increases the possibility of capital from a range of sources getting access to real estate. And that's where the IPF's really been it's been one of the key missions of the IPF over time is to be improve the knowledge and ability to invest in real estate. So these are really positive developments. The key really is, is to ensure that different investors get access to real estate in the most appropriate way. And the point that was made earlier is really key here. It isn't necessarily onshore, offshore. It isn't necessarily listed, unlisted. It's about the investor protections and the appropriateness of, of, of the vehicle for the investor itself. So we've seen in the in the uh, in the run up to the the COVID crisis and through the crisis that a lot of investor funds have been closed and and have been suspended dealing to protect the interests of investors because the valuation of the assets was unsure. Now that seems to me to be fine. For example, as long as investors are aware of why that's happening and that, that was going to happen all along. So this issue of investor protection is inextricably linked with investor knowledge, and so. When we've got the right vehicles and we've got full investor knowledge, we've got more capital flowing into the sector, more capital can get out of the sector when it wants to as well, which is really important, and we've got a more functioning market. And so the things you're describing there, for example, Rob describing the wholesale and retail model of IPSX, for example, those different structures work well for those different investors. So in in, in essence, really you know, very positive about these developments because they provide more access to real estate and greater liquidity options for investors across a range of different types of investors. Okay. Is there a difference uh, between the liquidity of offshore funds and onshore funds? Is there any, is, is there any uh, research on that that's identified that? Ben? The challenges of liquidity relate to the underlying structure itself rather than the vehicle itself, rather than the nature of being onshore or offshore typically. And so some structures are, are, are designed to give limited liquidity investors, some so closed-end structures being an example with a finite life, and others are designed to give, for example, monthly or even daily 
daily dealing in the fund. So it is not necessarily, in my view, and the research I've read, necessarily the onshore, offshore nature of it. It's the fact of the nature of the structure of the vehicle itself. Okay. And Rob and Melva, coming to you with that liquidity question, what, what, how, does, how do your separate ideas um, address the liquidity issue? So, Melville, if I, if I may, I'm sure Melville will talk about OTC over the counter in terms of match bargain. The stock exchange is an exchange. I want to pull a quote from uh, last Sunday Times, uh, which was an article, and the headline in the business section was putting the lid on property fund fire sales. And Maura O'Neill from the Interactive Investor was quoted, there's a perfectly good structure investing in illiquid assets, Uh, They are traded on the stock exchange, so there's a ready market which buyers and sellers can access the trust themselves and don't have to sell asset meet redemptions. I think that sums it up for me in terms of a public market. This is what it's about in terms of liquidity. But Melville, OTC and the ability to form and trade. Uh, Yes, Rob, and as I mentioned, The PIF is restricted to institutional investors, some of whom have been familiar with trading on the secondary market. One of the achievements within the UK is the manner in which we in our industry have created this secondary match bargain basis of trading for institutional investors. That could offer an exit, but the PIF is flexible. It can be closed-ended, it can be hybrid. It operates outside the authorised open-ended regime, a regime which requires, for the purposes of the regulator, to offer realisable units within a reasonable period at NAV. Okay, NAV is the net asset value. Uh, correct. So, and uh, with the PIFs, I know that they can hold other um, assets, not just real estate, but uh, they could uh, be set up to buy assets on uh, Rob's IPSX exchange. Is that right? Yes, there's a discretion, and uh, it's down to the manager, their remit with their investors on what would be permissible investments for particular PIFs. Clearly, as we emerge from COVID-19, the government wants to encourage longer-term investment. And as we've seen, the government wants to build, build, build. What do you see as the best approach to encourage investment into large-scale projects and to bring new capital into these? And are offshore structures an option when thinking about these sorts of challenges? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question that. And of course, the answer to that depends on the nature of the investor itself and and the nature of the investment they they are making. What I think the government is clearly aware of is that the crisis has brought into focus a large amount of investment needs in a range of different real assets in the UK, basic infrastructure, but housing as well, and also the the large rebuilding job that needs to take place in many of our towns and cities, given the the crisis we've seen in in the retail sector. So what that is going to need is a large amount of capital from a range of different sources. There's a huge potential there from from the the personal savings of a large number of individuals. Personal pensions have been around since the 80s and there's a large amount of pensions built up which are seeking access to things like real estate and the income characteristics it delivers. So depending on the investor base, 
that some of the things we talked about this morning would be entirely appropriate. Again, I come back to this point that if you're an international sovereign wealth fund or if you're an overseas pension scheme from Australia or Canada, for example, all of whom have been investing in UK real estate in the last few years and will increasingly be doing so, I would imagine, going forward, your needs for structuring and your needs for the vehicle you're investing in will be very different than, say, an individual investing some of their personal pension. So the, the point is some of these structures will be appropriate to the structured offshore. Some would be interested, I'm sure, and I've been talking to IPSX about investing in, in single assets. The PIF that Melville's talking about will be entirely appropriate for many of those institutional investors looking to increase or come into real estate for the first time. So absolutely, there's a huge amount of interest in investing in real estate. I would flag up housing as one of the number one needs and finding ways of attracting capital into housing. Institutional investment in scale through things like a PIF would be absolutely fantastic. And marketing these funds, and this is something we're not talked about much yet, but the ability to market these funds outside the UK to institutional investors from all over the world would be a fantastic feather in the cap of UK for management industry to be able to be the recipient of this capital and invest it into the UK because there's a desperate need for capital. Widest range of choices of vehicles is what it's all about to ensure that we can get as much of that capital in. Rob, what are your thoughts? My comment here is that there is no shortage of capital for real estate. We can see in the markets and certainly the follow-on uh, funds that have been raised from the likes of Seagrow, Warehouse REIT, etc. The public markets give a really great uh, ability to access that source of capital. A um, couple of observations, though, Paul, and I 100% agree with Ben in terms of the housing side. A lot of that housing is generated out of local authorities. And the other speakers will be very aware of the fact that um, Scotland recently announced that any government-supported uh, schemes that were in an offshore structure wouldn't be supported if they were in an offshore structure. So I think from a local authority's point of view, you can see a dynamic in the marketplace that it has to be UK as opposed to onshore. And I think that is a very good thing. The other observation is costs and choice. So in preparation for this, Paul, I was just wondering about the number of onshore structures that existed for those poor old um, investors who are trying to wonder which structures to use without paying £1,000 an hour to very expensive lawyers. And we've got an authorised unit trust, we've got an open-ended investment fund, we've got a limited partnership, we've got a co-ownership fund, we've got an authorised contractual scheme, we've got a PAFE. It's too confusing. Let's simplify what we have got, make it very clear how to do it, and in a regulated way. Because if we can simplify our structures, then we will go to my opening comment, which was, let's make the UK the right place to invest with the right structures, which is not me being partisan, and this is my final point before Melville comments. Whichever way you look at it, we're looking for a hard Brexit at the end of this year. We're running out of time. The net result of that is the AFE regime that blessed the Europeans that they actually brought in to allow passporting is going to hit the buffers very, very hard. All that administration and that joyous quantities of words isn't going to be available. We're going to have to have new structures to deal with that. And that could be the PIF. It could be a listing on IPSX. But now is the time to address this. Really important points. 
So Melville, underlying all of this is the fact that there is an appetite for commercial property because of the yield and the diversification of portfolios. But what's your uh, comment on on what Ben and Rob have have just said? Uh, Paul, how I see it is the additional benefit of a PIF is being aligned with government's goals. It can be a conduit post-Brexit for attracting global capital into the UK. It can facilitate goals like levelling up the nation and post-COVID-19 recovery. We need vehicles like the PIF, which can assist in reducing fund establishment and operation costs, as well as enhance investors' returns, and additionally, encourage entrepreneurial UK managers. So what are the next steps then for this? If we've got Brexit as a hard deadline at the end of the year, uh, the consultation, I believe the Treasury consultation closed uh, in May, but they're considering the the input that they've had. What, do you know what the next steps are, Melville? So in the context of the PIF, we've had a terrific announcement in the spring budget. The Treasury is undertaking a review of the UK funds regime this calendar year, 2020. Let's hope for a comprehensive review. And as part of that review, the Treasury will consider the gaps in the current UK fund offering and how we industry can propose solutions to those gaps. Ben, what what do you see as the next steps? I think uh, Melville's Melville's right. This review is warmly welcome. And I think it's important to to say that when these reviews get undertaken, they they are genuine reviews and consultations uh, in the best interests of both the economy and the industry. And I think the IPF has always played a part in these sort of reviews and always given evidence to those. And I do recall mentioned it earlier, the, the REIT consultation, which led to the establishment of REITs many years ago now, was related to the desire to get initially housing, actually more capital into housing back in the day. But it was about also addressing a, a tax anomaly that existed in the listed space. And this a similar process is under, undergoing here, where the Treasury is listening to representation of the industry. It's taking a logical, considered view of this complex myriad of structures. And I feel confident that when the final, you know, the final, in the final analysis, the right decision will be made, and some of the, there'll be much more clarity, and a clearer structure will emerge. The treasury, te- you know, take evidence and take research and take it seriously, and I think they'll do it, do it in this situation as well. Well, it's very much the point made by the Financial Conduct Authority as well, announcing its consultation, that w- which was that now is an opportunity to provide this new regime. Uh, Rob, what are your final thoughts? Final thoughts is that it's very exciting for us as an industry. It's very exciting from the IPF's point of view, because when it came into being in 1988, there were similar dynamics, although we were trying to prove real estate as an asset class. I think we've done that. Now we're coming of age in terms of the structures and the driver of Brexit and the driver of COVID will actually make this a very fertile ground, provided the professionals involved don't overcomplicate it too much. We have to keep the messaging simple and we have to raise that 
funds very clearly to actually rebuild the country, which is what we're going to need to do. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, And my thanks to today's panel, uh, Ben Sanderson. Thank you very much, Paul. Great pleasure to be here. Uh, Melville Rodriguez. Uh, Thank you, Paul. And our IPSX host, Rob Bold. Thank you, Paul. Uh, My name's Paul Shearer, and I thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to this IPSX podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. All of our future episodes will be on there. You can also follow the conversation on our Twitter feed at IPSX underscore property or take a look through our website www.ipsx.com. Thank you.